Today we break down what trauma is, the science, and the power of resilience during tough times. Dr. Lidiana Garcia, a trailblazer in counseling psychology with a PhD and a seasoned trauma healing expert, is sharing mindfulness and simple techniques that can make a huge difference. We'll explore how our brains play a role in healing and various therapy options. We will also offer advice on supporting friends and loved ones. Plus, she provides insight into how trauma affects kids and teens and what parents, teachers, and schools can do to help. Today, I want to welcome Lidiana Garcia. How are you today? I'm good. Good. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? Thanks. No, thanks for coming. I'm good. Just enjoying a little bit of breeze here in Florida, dropping down to the 70s, but you're winning, right? In Tampa, it drops down to the <laughs> I'm 50s. winning so far, and hopefully it continues to drop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about today's conversation. Um, we're going to be speaking about trauma, and I know that's a topic that could be very, you know, broad. So we're going to try to cover... Um, the most important things um, regards to children and, and teens and adults, and we're going to do a little bit of everything, right? Um, but for the purpose of explaining what trauma is, how would you define trauma? Because I know there's different types or everybody thinks is a, is a different thing. And now the term is being used very loosely. You know, everybody's like traumatic experience. I went through trauma. But what really is trauma? Mm. I know I was thinking of this question and there's so many different definitions at this moment after 15 years in the field what I like to call it it's it's different situations events that could be passed down generations it could be vicarious that you're observing but it's not the event it's the reaction and the responses that happened not only in our bodies, but also in our lives, in our relationship, in our way of managing our emotions, coping skills. So it's more about what happens as a result of that situation or a combination, because that's the other thing. A lot of times right now at this moment, we're also talking with everything going on in the world that a lot of times how we conceptualize trauma is the after, but then we're living and when you're living in the midst of it, then it, it's it's a little different as well. Yeah, and I hear a lot, um, or I get a lot of clients saying, you know, trauma is not what happens to you, right? So how can you describe that? So if trauma is not what happens to you, you know, you have people that go through severe trauma, right? Sexual abuse or um, narcissistic partners, domestic violence. So if it's not what, happened to you, then what is it? It's it's more of that reaction. And I think that whole definition is because before the way we were defining if somebody had trauma or was experiencing any of the symptoms of post, um, gosh, post, I was going to say postpartum, it's not postpartum, <laughs> PTSD, <laughs> post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD. It was a very kind of narrow way of seeing it. And one of the um, kind of to qualify whether you had it or not, you had to find an event. And it was always about an event. And what people were missing is that what is traumatic for you, and there's different types, there's like big T's, what we call big traumas, small T's and collective T's, but it's not necessarily the event. Like two people can experience something horrific like sexual abuse and their responses might be different. And it could be because of the support system that they have. It could be because of the resiliency factors that they come with and many other things that can help them not get stuck 
on the responses of the trauma responses. And I think that's why right now we're making such an emphasis of it's not what happened to you, it's how you, you know, what happens after, because it's not necessarily an event, it's how we or our bodies, not, sometimes it's not us. And that's the other thing. A lot of people think trauma is mental and you just make it. No, it's not that. Um, something last that I'll say about this um, right now is working in the field, a lot of times, even myself, I've seen a lot of people with different things and I'm like, oh my God, that sounds traumatic. And it's my surprise that sometimes those clients, they that's not what it was. It was that their parents didn't believe okay. them or it was that the person, what the person said and those things stuck in them. But the actual act that we might say, oh, that's traumatic might not be it. So that's why I think it's that emphasis of making it individual. Yeah, so my, you know, my definition of traumatic experience might be um, an explosion and then somebody else's or maybe someone as a kid might be that they, um, their needs weren't being met. So that right there can cause trauma in the future. Um, but I think it's important to mention this because, and I think it's helpful for, for people that are trying to heal their trauma because it almost separates the trauma from yourself, right? So like if the trauma is something that happened in the past, you can't really change that. You can't go back in time. But if you're able to separate the trauma from yourself, then you can actually work on healing that experience. Mm, I love that. And that's how I see it. And that's why I feel like so hopeful because I've been, again, working over 15 years and a lot of the things and the responses that happen and the way that we interpret and what gets internalized, because that's where I feel like one of the most hurtful or dangerous pieces of trauma is what gets internalized. And now those beliefs that you have and how you're living your life based on that or that um, amount of events and how you define yourself. And once you separate and you continue to separate yourself from the things that happened to you and accepting what was, because at the end of the day, I wish I could go back. I wish I could change things. I wish I could help them, but, yes. and you can, you know, you can use um, different therapy models to kind of recreate, you know, the story, but at the end of the day, you cannot change what happened, but you can change the way that you see it. You can work ways to help you not have big reactions when you remember those things or when anything triggers you and that I've seen, and it's, there's a lot of hope. Yeah, there's it's definitely a magical process, um, especially as a clinician when you when you see the whole process unfold, right? Exactly. Now, when we talk about traumas, um, what are some of the most common symptoms that someone may experience? Yeah, I like dividing them like in the main ones in four, kind of like how the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, kind of goes in terms of the denial or like avoidance of remembering things that happen and places, people is like you, which is the natural way of our bodies to adapt, which is like, mm -hmm. nope, that did not happen or avoidance, avoidance of anything. The other one is the re-experiencing. So then you start re-experiencing via dreams, via be uh, having images like flashbacks or thoughts that just continue to come into your mind and they seem to not leave you and seeing things out there and 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 which I think is highly influenced by this third one which is that hyper 
arousal, hypervigilance that is your body after you experience something that puts you in danger, because that's the thing. It puts the body reacts as if it's in danger of survival. So it's going to do whatever it takes to survive. And then it stays for a little bit in that kind of like, wait, is there more danger out there? Let me, I need to continue to check Mm -hmm. around. I need to continue to be aware. And that can include difficulties falling asleep, irritability, hypervigilance, any loud noise or anything like you're more reactive because your body is still in the aftershock, if we want to put it. And then the third, the fourth one would be more the what gets internalized. And now what what meaning do you make out of that? What does that mean about you? What does that mean about others? What does that mean about the world that we're living? And, and those ones can be very hard, especially, you know, to work with as if it's been several years, it's been, you know, since childhood, because now it's part of your identity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very um, interesting that you mentioned the the inner meaning, right? Because I think that that has a lot of influence on the way you're able to heal or the resilience you build. Um, and again, that's another word that's broadly used, right? The it healing is. or resilience. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. In your um, clinical opinion, what would be the the definition or what would be a good definition of healing or resilience? I would separate them though. I, and it's interesting because I have a podcast named the Beyond Resilience Life. And when I started that, it was before resilience became like, uh, you know, now well known. (laughs) Yeah. But I like to separate them because resilience from how I learned it when I was in school and everything, it's like going back to your baseline. So like, that's why in crisis intervention, one of the things that is recommended is to kind of assess and help the person explore what was your functioning general in life before whatever happened. And the resilience is like that ability to bounce back to that pre-trauma functioning. Now that is assuming that there's one single event. Now it's complicated when you think about complex trauma. It's very linear. Yes, it's very linear in that sense. But if it's complex trauma and there's generational trauma, collective trauma, and that's all you've known, then what is the pre-functional? That's another question. But healing for me, it's more that process that you're embarking through your life to continue to release kind of like the what is holding you back, what is li- what is holding you from your truth because of the way that you've learned to cope, to survive, that it's going away from your soul truth, from your soul wisdom. And so in that sense, you continue to release this, these things that are holding you back. You continue to release what's no longer serving you in your life. That could be thoughts and beliefs about yourself. That could be behaviors that you've learned to cope in relationships, in your life, that they're no longer serving you, that they were literally coping skills and help you survive, but they're no longer. And in that journey, you continue to be more of you, more of you, more of you. That's how I like to see healing. And it's never ending. (laughs) And there's always new (laughs) stuff happening. So then you continue to kind of like, oh, there's something new. Okay. That's impacting me this way. How is that changing me? And what is this showing me about my myself that I want to continue to integrate was was not. So that's how I like to separate them. Yeah. I read how trauma can almost cause a disconnection of almost like yourself, right? And 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 your general life and healing would be almost like making that connection again. Back. Right. And that just made a lot of sense. I'll make that make sense. And and like you mentioned, it's an everlasting thing, right? <laughs> Growth, healing, all of that. So um I I think 
it's an important element when we talk about trauma, right? I feel like it goes hand in hand. And something that you said about that disconnection is not only with yourself, is the disconnection with others. And now with the information that we have about the nervous system, we are now able to say, yes, when somebody is in a trauma response of survival, like a fight or flight or a freeze response or collapse response or fawn response, your ability to connect to somebody else is limited because now you're functioning from a different area. Your, your nervous system, is, it's, the energy is going to like, what is danger and how can I avoid it and how can I survive? That doesn't allow enough space for you to be completely present and connect with other per- people in a genuine kind of present way and to the land. But that's, yeah, again, that's another huge concept, <laughs> but it's, it's a big one because when we're disconnected, whole, from our, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. yeah, when we're disconnected from our roots, from the land, from, from each other. And, and because now we see everything as a threat. Yeah. We continue to perpetuate trauma that way as well. Correct. And I feel that that's why it's also important to have like a self-care routine or like really take care of yourself. Like I feel like it goes hand in hand with the healing. What would be some of recom- one of some of your recommendations when it comes to self-care? Mm. I like to go back to the things that have worked. A lot of times when we think of therapy or or healing journeys like oh my god I have to change everything and I like to go back slow because we're approaching or I'm gonna say this is a generalization but a lot of of people out there are approaching trauma from like quick you know let's do this fast let's just get back and we forget that it's been happening for years that it does it's not that way and when we approach things from that let's do it fast let's do it quick then it's like that idea of learning all the skills learning all this breathing learn doing all these things mm-hmm. and that's I, that doesn't resonate with me what i like to go and help my clients is more like okay what has worked for you let's explore when you were little when you were younger or in life what was something naturally that that brought you that sense of comfort that sense of of, of calm, enjoyment, fun is important because when we are going through trauma, we also d- don't devote that much time to fun to really enjoy things. And then I explore and some people, it could be like, oh, I like to draw when I was little. I like to color, I like to um, be outside in nature and just look at the clouds. It could be, you know, different things. So I like to go back, go back there and start building on those. And then I also like going into the senses because via mindfulness, there's a lot that you can do. So like really exploring via your senses, obviously uh, this is assuming ableism in a way. So whatever senses you're able to, then you, and then you can kind of start building up what, what brings you joy. Let's say if you're able to see what are the things that you see around that brings you joy? What are the sounds? What are the smells? What are the tactile sensations in your body what are the different um, taste and movements and all that and I like to build on that and a lot of times people wait until they're dysregulated and that can be too late so I like to also recommend adding those things even when you're well so you can continue to build on that because a lot of times when we're used to survive even starting to regulate can feel like, wait, there's no chaos going on. And our bodies can interpret that as. Yeah. It's like out of your comfort zone. 
right? Because you're so used to this like hectic life and then everything just kind of eases in and you're like, what is this? I don't know this. <laughs> it makes no sense, but it happens a lot and people don't talk, I feel, enough mm-hmm. about it. Yes, it happened to me as well as, as I moved into that. It was like, no, no, I'm used to, you know, get this, you know, but it's now. And slowing down can be triggering for some people. Yeah. Yeah, especially if I've always been on like the flight or flight or I have to do this or I have to fix this. And then it's like, no, slow down for them. It could definitely be triggering. Now, when you see your clients, do they usually come knowing their traumas or do you help them identify their traumas? How do you how do you do this? I feel like now um, with so much information in social media, a lot of my clients are coming in. <laughs> Everyone comes with trauma. Yes. I, I think feel like everybody, trauma. especially younger generations, are like, I have this, I have that. And they have the diagnosis and they tell you all the symptoms. And I'm like, oh, wow. Um, okay, cool. But, but at the same time, I like to go very slow about this. I feel like when I started in the field, I was like, intrigued so I was like ooh kind of like let's dig right now especially if the person is going through a lot in their lives I don't like to dig and sometimes they go like hmm I want to explore if that happened to me and I like to question that like why especially if they're not and when I say they're not like supportive like let's say they're struggling financially they don't have a good support system they're having some physiological symptoms some medical issues if they're not in a stable space that they can because when you're doing trauma work at the beginning, it's going to be messy. There's going to be things that are going to challenge you and you need that support or that will be ideal. So that journey can be less, less um, intense. Let's put it that way. So I don't like to dig and I like to question them and to go okay. into, I also learned a model that was challenging processing trauma in a way. Cause they were like, if you're learning to regulate, do we really need to go there if the person's life is okay? And it was not, you know, avoided, okay, yeah. but it was that aspect. So I like to bring and bring back the choice to the person because at the end of the day, you know, yeah. that even that disconnect of making choices because they, they are not trusting themselves. So I like to bring it back. And if they okay. say, yeah, I want this and I trust myself and I go with it, but, but it's, it's on an individual basis. What modality um, um, do you use and why? Like, which one would be your recommendation? Because I I know a lot of people, you know, they might know their diagnosis, but they don't know a lot about the different um, techniques or different modalities that they could, you know, when they go seek a therapist, I always tell my friends, I'm like, you need to ask them what's their approach, like what's, you know, what they're specialized in, because one thing might work for someone or for one diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. so which one um, do you use and which one do you highly recommend, at least for trauma? Yeah, I want to start that uh, answering that with first saying my personality type, because it would depend on that. (laughs) My personality type, I like to go deep. I'm very into holistic and spiritual as well and making meaning and soul healing. So in that sense, I I do like to start with the body because um, I like to. I like to help clients be able to see that there's simple things that they can do to start feel better, to start feel like their anxiety or their thoughts that just continue to like, you know, storm them can start softening and it becomes like a slow rain and then it ends. So for that, I like to use in somatic and it goes also with my personality. I used to dance. So I like, and I like to okay, bring it like, yes. like in a fun <laughs> way and senses and all that. So that way they can regulate. So any somatic from the somatic, I was trained in sensory motor, psychotherapy level one, and also in trauma, trauma resiliency model. 
and then, you know, different workshops here and there. So those are the ones. And then about processing, then that will depend on the person. I'm training EMDR. And to be honest, I feel like I'm not the person to do it. So I've also like my personality. I feel like sometimes it can be very intense for some people. And I I like to go a little bit slower and more gentle approach. I also work with a lot of people that come with complex trauma, especially in childhood. So their lives have been so chaotic that I like to like, you know, like show them that they can start slowing down. Yeah. So, but EMDR for some people, it can be helpful, you know, especially single events. I I feel like it could be really helpful. And if a friend calls me that they're going through something recently, I'm like, okay, you know, bilateral to kind of help the brain um, process the trauma in many ways. There's, and those are the ones that I would say like big names. Besides that, I like to integrate the acceptance from acceptance and commitment therapy, because Again, we cannot change the past necessarily. The facts, you can recreate it in your mind, but change what happens, we cannot. And also acceptance of grieving what you need to grieve um, because mm-hmm. a lot of times is the loss of what you were not able to do because of what happened to you. So, yeah. Yeah, the acceptance is a very important part. Yes. Do you mind if we dig a little deeper into... Yeah. What happens to the brain during a traumatic situation? How is the brain affected and how does it influence um, our reactions or the the here and now? Yeah, that one, I love EMDR perspective. Um, And from that, kind of like their theories that they're basing, and this is very loosely from what I've integrated with when I learned EMDR. But it's that idea. I like the movie Inside Out from Disney that talks about like memories that they're like encapsulated. And and it's a very, I'm a very visual. And I also like integrating movies (laughs) to explain analogies. But when, when something traumatic happens to us, it's like our brain goes into like, wait, what's going on? Kind of literally. And then that memory can get like, kind of like a mirror that just broke. And all these pieces or all these puzzle pieces are like all kind of everywhere and the body and the brain is trying to put those pieces together. So some of those memories get kind of encapsulated and lost, but the brain is trying to put them together. And that's why a lot of times it's like remembering and flashbacks and all these things. And and I like to see that as part of the approach of the brain trying to make sense of what happened and integrating the story. Because when something big traumatic happens, also um, some people can have difficulties with memories. And it's not necessarily that they did not make the memory of what happened, but it's like the memory might be all over. And memory is such a nuance and complex subject because you can make new memory. Yeah, it's a very complex subject in itself. So, and then the brain now, so like that's like an in general, simple way. Now, when the body Mm -hmm. perceives danger, I like to use the kind of traffic light. So let's say you're normal and you're going Mm -hmm. into your life. Everything is well. You're in the green zone. The green zone would be an area that is mostly by the parasympathetic nervous system and is helping us to be in what we call rest, digest, and connect as well. So our, our, our bodies are doing the functioning as well. The digestion, the heartbeat is everything is regulated and it's functioning well. Then if our bodies perceive any danger, and I like to emphasize body because it's not our mind, it's whatever our bodies is perceiving via all the data and information that is being 
like right now, as we're talking, our body's making sense of all this data that is receiving from all the different senses. So if anything seems like it's a danger cue, then our bodies ideally first can orient and be like, wait, is that a lion? And if that lion is far away, can I run? What can I do? But in many cases, there's no time for that. So, so it's, um, for this, I also like using the, um, Dr. Amen, no, Dr. Amen, um, Dan Siegel's brain model with the hand. So I'll use it. So continue explaining. So imagining, and gosh, I wish I would have <laughs> put up, did my nails. I didn't, but oh, well. So my, my nails <laughs> and, fine. would be kind of like the prefrontal area of the brain. And this is from Dan Siegel. Again, very loosely go to see him in YouTube and you can find the whole video. But that represents our prefrontal area of our brain. And that represents the area that is um, mostly implicated of being a human being, making decisions, rationalizing, concentration, problem solving, all of that. So it's our area that it's, it's again, most related to an evolution. Then our thumb would represent our emotional brain and also the area that has our um, kind of an alarm system, which is called the amygdala of the brain, mm -hmm. that it's kind of like making sure, like, wait, is there a danger? And then this area represents the back part of the brain and the different areas that control the most primitive functioning, your breathing, your, your heart raid and all those things that you're not thinking about is the autonomic nervous system. So in our brain, this is all integrated and that's the green zone. So if the brain assumes there's danger, this goes out. So our ability to problem solve, to think yeah. clearly, to make that it's out. Now the body takes over and, and then that yellow zone of the traffic light will represent usually our fight. Fight could be literally physical fight. That's why a lot of times feel a rush of warmth towards our extremities because the body is preparing to fight. And there's also the flee, mm -hmm. which is the running away. There's other ones like fawn and all that, that I, I won't add necessarily here, but I'm just talking about the, yeah, yeah it can get yes, complicated. Yes. And the then in our, if our bodies perceive that, and, and that is more if we need to mobilize ourselves to fight or to run. If our bodies goes like, mm, that lion is too close. And remember, this is out. So it's our body that's making the sense. Yeah. That lion is too close and we cannot run. Uh, I'm not strong enough. I'm going to die. So I'm going to play dead. And I'm going to play dead by, by freezing, by numbing. Some people can even collapse. And there's a very small chance, but a lot of people are afraid, but some people can die in that extreme fight, you know, um, frightened situation is very 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 rare yeah. your heartbeat lowers so much that you could that could happen but it's that way of the body doing anything to protect themselves when i share this okay. most people go like oh okay but what i want to really hopefully you can hear and and the audience yeah. is the freeze response is auto autonomic as well it just happens you cannot control it yeah. but that moment that you couldn't fight it. back that moment that you couldn't, that you didn't say something, that moment that you were like, I'm always so strong and I didn't fight it. I didn't do anything. It was your body doing whatever it needed to protect yourself. So this is a message to okay. stop blaming yourself. Stop seeing that you were the one at fault. It was your body doing whatever you needed to protect itself. And those are the yeah. three main areas. Yeah. A lot of um, the people that went through trauma, tend to blame themselves, yeah. right? Yes. Um, 
So it's important to know that it's, you know, it wasn't your fault. And even when we argue or we speak, we always go back and say, oh, I could have said this differently. I could right. have done this differently. But like, it doesn't serve a purpose, really. It doesn't. If you have that internalized, then that actually can perpetuate cycles of oppression now that you do to yourself. Because blaming ourselves, shame can put the body in that trauma response. It's one of the worst yes. kind of emotions to sense. It can put you in that fight or, you know, in that mode. So, yeah. And I know now we're talking, I want to assume, correct me if I'm wrong, we're talking more about like big T's, right? Big dramas, right. like mm -hmm. situation happen. Mm -hmm. But when we go back and we talk about childhood trauma, then maybe it's a little T. Um, or a small trauma, how can this affect when they're an adult? Maybe you can give us some examples so people really understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I feel like they're, sometimes when we call big T's and small T's, they're like, oh, a small T. No, uh, small T's, when they accumulate, they can be, I feel like, even more intense and difficult to manage, like complex trauma, than a big T a car accident, a rape, or something that was one event. So I just want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. um, with childhood, it's our brain is developing, so that in itself is a big one, because whatever we're like paying attention to also kind of like sticks. Mm -hmm. And during adolescence, it's like our brain goes to like, and this is again heard Dan Siegel and, and the research I did he's done on brain development is like puberty is like your brain goes through like a big remodeling and it's also the time that the brain becomes like specialized in something that's why a lot of sports those are the times like after 14 15 16 is the time prime for many sports because your brain is specializing so those people that okay. are going through childhood traumas and all that when they get to puberty and all that then if you're like depressed already it's like the brain is like all the other neurons that were not used, that's what is getting specialized. So that's why addictions and different things, when they start really early on, the the prognosis or the you know that you can recover, it's 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 slimmer because now the brain is just so used to it. But childhood traumas, childhood experiences, it they defined like in childhood is when we define ourselves like but based on how mm -hmm. the others are responding to us is how we learn about if the world is safe or not is how we learn about relationships valuing ourselves so if we've experienced yeah. trauma besides all those four areas then that's where i start to you know those are the other areas that are need that are needed to be explored like your relationships yeah. the way you see yourself and a lot of mm -hmm. times it could be Something, um, I don't want to call it a small, like, but it could be like you did not receive in your house the nurturance and, and unconditional love from your parents. Yeah, so when you don't yeah. receive the core needs, definitely mm -hmm. reflect on, on your future relationship, right? Like, for yeah. example. And yourself um, as well. If as a kid, yes, you were receiving love, but then maybe they were making you feel guilty for it. And that's something that might transpire in your future relationship, right? When somebody else is not doing or putting the same effort as you are, then you're going to make that other person feel guilty. So <laughs> I, I definitely see the correlation of of how any type of interaction when you're young or a teenager and, th and the brain doesn't even develop till you're 25. Exactly. And <laughs> that's splash. under good conditions. So. <laughs> that's under good conditions. So if you've had different like psychological traumas, relational traumas, and physical traumas, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of accidents that kids can happen. 
like motorbikes and, you know, riding your bike, playing around, you know, if you have any brain traumas, meaning of falling or hurting yourself or even abuse, then that will make it even slimmer. Yeah. Yeah. Another factor that I think is very important um, when speaking about the context and trauma would be the support system, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's friends, family, um, therapist. Um, What would you recommend or what would you say to someone that might have a family member or friend that has gone through trauma? How can they assist them? How can they be of help? Mm, That is a beautiful question. I, I like to like talk when, when I talk about support is it's not what you do necessarily. Like a lot of people think like they need to do something and that could be their own (laughs) experiences in life. But sometimes I feel like they need to get that's your them. own trauma. Yeah, that's their own. Yeah, their own traumas. But sometimes they they think it could be something like I need to get them to do this diet or to take this treatment or to do this. Mm. And and if the person is not receptive for that, that could be counterintuitive. So I usually recommend like knowing that person, just being there, just being there, and being able to listen to them and being able to hold the space for them. And what I mean with that in a simple way is sometimes it's like, oh, wow, just listen, being a listening ear and reflecting back what they said, like, wow, that happened. Wow, I'm sorry, you know, and just like that. That in itself of having a human being, being able to be there with us while we're in pain without any agenda of changing us or going into positive or sometimes toxic positive positivity about just, you know, yeah. see this way can be one of the most beautiful gifts that you can give to someone else and getting the support you need yeah, like let's say you're a loved ones and and it's been hard and I can get it you know I, it, it makes completely sense I know this is like I got a degree I have 15 years of, <laughs> of experience of holding space for other but it's hard it's a lot so also getting the support that you need as the as the helper caretaker whether that is a support group whether that is getting your own therapy doing what you need so you can also nurture yourself because it's hard it's hard when you're holding space for someone and they're in their in their feelings and mm-hmm. What about um, parents specifically that have to, you know, endure themselves going through a trauma or having a, a child that has been through a trauma? What what advice would you have for them, or how can they, you know, start in this process of healing? Yeah, first thing will be self compassion, and it, it's so important. It's really hard. I'm a mama myself. And after having my first is when a lot of my trauma kind of like surfaced and it was like a shock to my system and to myself. So it's, it, it is really hard. So finding self-compassion, knowing that by, by you trying to do your best is all that you can do. And knowing a, a also, and this is a quote that I heard from Gabor, Dr. Gabor Mate, is like doing your best, knowing your best is not enough. And I know sometimes that is hard to swallow. And I'll say it again, doing your best, knowing your best is not enough. And and that could be getting into a class. There's a lot of resources out there. I like um, different ones like Latinx parenting for the for the Latinx community, but mm-hmm. for everyone is in, that speaks English can relate. And 
Um, there could be like your own therapy, your own self-care, your own finding ways of you getting the nurture, doing reparenting, remothering, inner child work, all that that you can do and getting the support, maybe getting some family support if that's accessible or finding other ways of support. Sometimes mm -hmm. for parents could be like maybe to have, if, if you're able to put in your kid in childcare so you can also like manage that if, if they're younger and they cannot be in school. So that way you have that space. Yeah. Because having a um, perfect mom is not what the kid needs. The kids... Well, that doesn't exist. Yeah. The, what the kid needs... That's what society puts out there. Yeah. It's, it's a big expectation. And that's part of what I'm writing in the book that I'm writing about the mother one is like the mothers have this huge expectation and we are like, you know, and um, being the perfect mother. So being that perfect mother uh, or parent and providing your kid homemade food and all that, but then you're mad and then you're resentful and they're, you're not present, you're grumpy. Mm -hmm. That's not what the kid needs. What they, what they need is you, the real you that is doing the work, that does some repair work when, when you make a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, and, and taking it one day at a time. Yeah, I completely um, agree with all of that. Well, um, I'm sure we can keep talking about this for a thousand hours and we can dig deeper, but um, our time is up. I would love to have you on another episode. I know we're talking about doing a Spanish one, so stay tuned. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, do you have any last messages for those that might be listening that you know are going through trauma? That hope is available and you're not the only one. Also to hold on to that ancestral wisdom that you're here as a result of, I think the number is like over a billion, like if you keep going back and back and back of everything that needed to happen for you to be here, that in itself can be seen as a miracle. So like to really hold and know that there has to be, at least in that background, there has to be at least one person that is well, more than one, but I'm just like making that and, and that emphasis that you can rely on that ancestral wisdom of people that came before you or nature wisdom that has been here. So that way you know that we that we can get past, that we can create different things and your life can be can be better. Can be better. Mm -hmm. And only I've seen it yeah. and not only in my life, but also with the people that I work. So you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. And like, you know, like we mentioned in the beginning, it's not what happened to you. So there is hope. Um, I think even that who you are. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I think even that is what connects us as humankind, you know, as the human, as, you know, mm -hmm. as human beings. It's like everyone has gone through something and we keep thinking, which is part of the trauma. We think like it's only us. No, it's like everyone. No, done. everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in their certain lineages. Level, you know? Yes. It's part of the human experience going through traumas, adversities. So it is what connects us to others. Yeah. Sometimes we see these people and they seem all perfect. And then yeah. we sit down and talk to them. Yes, but it's, like, it's oh, not. Oh, okay. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like that. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't look messed up like I look. <laughs> right. Right. You're putting yeah. a beautiful glitter and mask. Mm -hmm. But it's, it is yeah. what connects us, though. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I always tell people, you know, like, you don't judge. You never know what someone's going through. Don't let social media fool you. Don't let, 
you know, their image fools you. Like, I feel like everybody, either little T's or big T's, they have a story, right? They have something they struggled with. So, yep. Yeah, yep. We all do. Healing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank you again for this lovely conversation. And um, I, can't wait. I can't wait to have you again soon. Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure to be speaking on a heart topic, but hopefully to send that hope out there. Thank you for joining us in this lovely conversation about trauma. Um, hoping you learned something that you can use for yourself or a loved one. We will be here every week with a new episode. Thank you for watching. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel. And if you like what you see or you heard, leave us a comment.